iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there. Welcome to a, a special edition of The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft, joined by Alison Rudd and Tom Clark, as usual. But our special guest is none other than the former Brighton and Fulham goalkeeper, now with Wickham Wanderers. David Stockdale is here. David, how are you? I'm good. Fighting across London to get, get here. It's been <laughs> worth it. I can, I can see nearly Leeds from the top of this building. So I don't want anyone to be confused in any way by hearing your accent you sound yeah. very very down to earth but I can confirm everyone that just like all recent Premier League players there are more diamonds than I care to count on the finger of, of David Stockdale right now he's gone for the bling with his wedding ring just like the rest of them so don't be fooled by him okay <laughs> he's going to try and sell himself as some sort of down to earth Yorkshire boy well he's not okay and I've been reading all about Ferraris and all sorts David Stockdale so so describe yourself to us they're investments so <laughs> investments <laughs> or get told to put them on, you know. Yeah. As you say, I'm down to earth. I'm a Leeds lad, Yorkshire, and and that's how it, how I want I want to be remembered. Like somebody could say you're not a very good goalkeeper, but he's a nice fella. That is what I want to be, and I don't. It's one of them. Where I don't care. It's water off a duck's back. And when you stand in front of two thousand Plymouth fans or Chef Wednesday fans and hurling all sorts of abuse, it's it's kind of funny. I kind of enjoy it. You've, you've done just about everything in terms of the football pyramid in England. York City, right at the start. Do you remember those days? What did you, what did you learn about yourself as a person that you've taken through your career from the early days? That I'm a really good boot cleaner. <laughs> and I can sweep a changing room, mop a changing room. Um, I remember those days like, like they were yesterday because... They're the ground in there. They're what people are trying to... Some people are trying to make it to York City, and I've managed to move on from that. So you never take take it for granted. And there's still lessons I learned in those changing rooms with those players that I still say to the young lads. I was getting told that. And you know when people say, don't want to sound like me dad? I sound like me dad. <laughs> <laughs> how did you become a goalkeeper? Usually we say, you know, how did you become a footballer? And mm. But obviously a lot of goalkeepers that we know, they start outfield and they, get, right. and they get pushed into net. Eventually yeah. they, they hit a growth spurt and then suddenly it's like you might be all right in, in goal. Were you one of those? Yeah. I always top goal scorer, I think, under <laughs> eights to under, under tens. And uh, I could touch the crossbar at under 11. So it's like, yeah, you're in goal. I had two left hands instead of two left feet. Luckily, I, someone stitched a right hand on me. So, <laughs> when did you discover though that you were a, a pretty decent goalkeeper, or when did others notice the talent in you? I think I was like a fine wine. So, I became better as I got older. I've still got dust on me now. I think I was at Huddersfield Town around twelve to fourteen, and to be honest, I weren't good. So my dad was like, "Right, you, you need to take a rest." Just I got released. No qualms. weren't good enough. 
So my dad was like, take a rest, go play with your mates. You're 14, 15, concentrate on school. In this time, I was enjoying the time, but my dad had wrote off to all the Yorkshire clubs, the ones that he could get to after work. A year later, under a file somewhere, they just must have found my name and needed a goalkeeper at York. But in that time, my dad had said, look, your kicking's not up to what it was at Huddersfield, like what the other goalkeepers were. Yeah. Why don't we hit the gym? So my dad was going to the gym and I got a programme and things like that, that that you don't think about at the time and you just thought you were being active or uh, your dad wanted to go to the gym, but he had to t- take care of you, so you went with him. But it, it's them times and then I seen the progress. You see it longer after, but you revert back to that was the norm then. Mm. And you see where you kicked on from that point. You've underlined something though that a lot of professional athletes talk about and there's clearly an influence from your family there. Was your dad a goalkeeper? Was he a massive football fan? Why did he take such an interest in your career that he would want to, you know, after the time at Huddersfield, want to help you with those improvements? He used to take me to training to Huddersfield after work. He'd finish at six, training was at seven, we'd have to get there. So it was part of it. Where from? From Leeds. So it was... It was a 45-minute journey. We were just getting there on time. But that's what he says to you. He still comes to this day. He still comes to my games. And he's he's like, that. that's what you do for your kids. If you wanted to play rugby, I'd have still done the same. Or gone to gym lessons or play a musical instrument. I'd do that. And that's what I try and carry on with my children. Whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll help you. But there's only so much I can help. And the old saying, you can lead a horse to water. He said, shame you haven't got two extra legs, though. You know what I mean? It was, you got to push, but how far do you push before you say, look, go on then, off you go. So he was a massive influence. And then my mum was like, right, we need to jump on the bus now after school to go meet your dad because he can't get across the traffic. So it's all entwined. And then and then my sister's ringing up saying, where are you? Oh, we're at training. What's for tea? You need to get yourself some. So she got left behind a little bit. And, mm. and then you see that, at weekends, you're playing football again, and then on Sunday, we're going out with your sister. But I've got another game. We'll get on the bus, son. Yeah, okay. Speaking about the family influence, it's clearly very, very strong. But you were talking about leading the horse yeah. to water, if you like. So eventually, it clicked in your own mind as an individual that you were a good goalkeeper or that you were improving. When did you start taking responsibility for your own game? Yeah, York City. So initially, I went in on trial. How, Just- how old were you then? 15 so they said look you're going to play a few games we can't promise anything I did well and it was at that point where it was kind of a turning point in my own head that now's got to be a time like if you don't because at that time it was a youth training scheme at 16 and after if I didn't get somewhere by 16 it's not now but at that back then it was highly unlikely that you just get picked up from Sunday league so I think it was going there finding somewhere that I f- maybe fit in and that I could improve at. So I'd say, yeah, 15, they offered me a contract for a year for the next year. So then it was like my dad again said, this is your chance. you got one chance. you got to try and take it. And it didn't go as smoothly as, oh, yeah, I went on and then played for full. It was hard. It was hard getting that under-16s, that I say, out of the way. But it's a learning process and being in a professional environment from being in a Sunday league team, again, it's a big change. And it's it's memories that you have there that when you keep going up the levels that you have to adapt to. And that's why I say to the young lads, like you come in and enjoy, 
in our club, there's a certain spirit. You join in the spirit, you get to do it, you'll enjoy your football. And that's where sometimes it gets mislaid with younger lads that they don't get involved with the older lads, ask questions. And it seems like you're too proud now to ask a question. How did you do that? You know, what What did you do? Did you train harder on so-and-so, so-and-so? Nobody wants to ask because they feel like, oh, is he going to think I'm not that good? Or mm. When you were at York City, you went out on loan as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> Worksop Town, Wakefield, Emily as well, um, before you ended up at, at Darlington. Yeah. Were you were you working? What were you doing outside of football? Because that, that, well, that couldn't have been enough money, I guess, as a 15, 16-year-old to, to support your life. So when I got the youth training scheme, it was three years back then. And it was £40 a week first year, 45 second, 93rd. But they had a break in the second year so you could get released. So it was like a fight out to see who could get the £90 a week. Mm. So that, again, you, you weren't working. You got expenses, so a train expense. It was full-time. You had jobs, so you cleaned the changing room after. Fortunately, I'd, I'd managed to play my debut at 17. So it kind of gave me a little bit of a head start, shall we say. So I did the three years. I signed my first year pro. I think it was £100, £120 a week. Didn't really do much that season, played a few games, and it came to contract renewal. They said, we think you've got a career in the game, let's let's offer you the same contract. Well, I said, well, now I don't get expenses, I'm driving, so can I get 125 a week? He said, you're thinking about money too much, this is what's wrong with the game, and got released. So I ended up working, cutting cricket pitches, rolling cricket pitches and for about three months, and it was Neil Redfern, he was manager of Scarborough at the time. And he was going to train at Leeds Rhinos training ground and then play in Scarborough. So it was all, the deal was all set up. And he rang me about three days later and said, Oh, by the way, Scarborough have been wound up. So I had nothing. Luckily, somebody who played for York at that time knew the goalkeeper coach, Darling. He said, Oh, there's a goalkeeper. He's, he's after. He said, If you need a number two, it won't cost you much. So they rang up and. Uh, I ain't told anyone this story to this day. So he, he rang me up. I still speak to the goalkeeper. He said, oh, we're going two weeks to Scotland, pre-season. Come on with us and we'll we'll see how you go. He said, we'll have to give you a bit of money. You know, I said, yeah, well, I'm on 200 quid a week at my job now. I was on 50. <laughs> it just so happened that I got 200 quid for the two weeks. So it did well. And it, it was that thing where I was trying to survive in the real world after coming out of football. That that was my thing. I should have said, I'll be there. I'll, I'll borrow some money. But in my head, I thought that was done. Mm. So going up and, and, and getting a contract with Darlington, in between then two times, I was literally trained back to the real world. You're working, you need to earn money to have a family and do what you need to do. It's interesting you mentioned having a family as well because you started, I say early, you were an adult, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 18 years old. Uh, number one, you've got three kids, yeah. haven't you? How did that change your life, your first child, and especially, you know, trying to build your career in football? Because like, were you at Darlington at that time? Yeah, you? so do you know what it is? How can you say it? Every parent knows that it changes. There's no right time. Even if you agree to do it, it doesn't feel like a right time. So when you, by the way, my wife was earning a lot more money than what I am at the time. So we were comfortable in this, in bringing a child into the world. It was just how do we counterbalance both things, trying to be parents and 
my career and she's going off to work so luckily we've got good parents ourselves so it, it worked out and she's been fully supportive and she still is to this day 20 years later and you're still saying what what day are you going to be on what day have you got off this week <laughs> <laughs> we need to go do some food shopping you know so it, it, it was all about follow your dream you know and, and when I was able to I let her stop work even though she still wants to work she she's never afraid and she's still milling around the house I'm bored I'm bored and and that's the way we're brought up I know everyone's brought up but in, in Yorkshire it was a you get a job you get an apprenticeship you do this you pay your mortgage and you go to work we still have that like even to this day I've, I've done my own businesses and I'm doing them alongside football because the day I retire the next Monday I'll be back behind the desk doing some work or on the tools cricket pitches possibly them days are behind me you know? The only this grass is, this is a good point at which to tell everybody that you are such a good dad that you you effectively put your child before Premier League football. I forget these things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge thing to do. Yeah, it was. As a family, we sit down. At that point, I'd I'd been fortunate enough to play a lot of times for Brighton and and have a good choice because I'd done well. My daughter was going to go into GCSEs the year after my contract would have ended so if I'd have signed the one year with Brighton we had a brief conversation she would have been in the middle of a GCSE me finding a club could have been Leeds it could have been Bradford it could have been Wrexham moving a child in the middle of GCSEs is not a good good thing my eldest is very very smart not much common sense but very very smart <laughs> so for me I said I can technically play football anywhere where do I want to be? Where do our bases want to be? And at the time, Brighton said one year. Brilliant. They, they were a great club. Very, very clear on what they wanted. They wanted me to stay. And I said, look, this is this is my options. Birmingham for three years. I can get settled. I can let it get through and see how it goes. And I sat down with Chris Ute and Paul Barber at the time and Mr. Bloom. And we had a coffee. I sat out and said, look, you have to do what's best for you. We want you here. If you don't, we're not going to hold it against you. We're not going to belittle you for moving. Or I mean, I got enough stick for from the fans, you know. Mm. But I made that choice and and told everyone. And it kind of was like, oh, okay. And and that's the thing with football. If you sit down and be honest, and everyone's most people have got kids and can understand where your conundrum is. Do I do this? Do I do that? Is there a great decision? Maybe it wasn't the right one, <laughs> looking back. But my daughter's in university now, so to me it was a good decision. I wonder, I wonder how many footballers actually do put their family first when you think about the moves they make. I've not interviewed anyone who's told me a story like that, actually. Some people may have, but it's not a an outside conversation that they're willing to have. I'm I'm open enough and comfortable with my decisions that we've made as a family to be able to say I'm I'm proud of my all my kids. But my daughter's had to move school seven times. So at the point when she really needed me, yeah, yeah. I could say I did the right thing. I mean, she needs me now because she's at uni and she's spending all the all the money. <laughs> now she's working, really, because I told her she needs to get a job. <laughs> but she's at university. She's doing what she loves to do. She's a worker in, in, in a book, not like me. Pass me a book. I... Give me a podcast, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so my decision is is 
basically the right one. So it comes to fruition, maybe not, not that year, not the year after, but now when people say, oh, your daughter, what's she doing? Oh, she's in university. First person to go in my family. So it's a proud moment. Why, why mm. should I not? But it was yeah. a proper sacrifice because I interviewed Ben Roberts, who's the goalkeeping coach at Brighton, and he said to me, not knowing I was going to see you ever again, that yeah. he would have definitely been first choice keeper throughout at least that one Premier League season he'd been in, given a contract for. Yeah. So it's a proper sacrifice. Yeah, it was. And I, I had the conversation with Ben at length. We sat down and had a lovely coffee in Brighton, <laughs> my ad, near the beach, and he, he basically said the same thing. And when I laid it out, he, he had a young child at the time, and he was like, how can I argue with you? There's two different decisions here, footballing or, or family. And I said, I can still fulfil my footballing career at a good level. And so when you say sacrifice, it might not have been because I was still at the same level. I was fortunate enough to play in the Premier League before. So mm. maybe, maybe, who knows? I'm not one that dwells on on the past. People ask me that all the time. Do you, do you wish you stayed in the Premier League? Well, yeah, now because she's at university, but I want to know that. No. Mm. So if the hindsight, hindsight again, I'm I'm not gonna dwell on anything. I'm I'm happy. She's doing well. I don't think I'll get these two to get to university. These other two. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we've we've almost skipped ahead there because we we spoke Sorry, about yeah. when you. No, no, no. It's no. It's not your fault at all. It's just entirely my fault actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because we're speaking about your departure from the Premier League in many ways. Yeah. You making that decision to go to Birmingham City. But obviously, we were at the start of your career, and we haven't really broached getting into the Premier League. In fact, really, we haven't broached becoming a regular football league goalkeeper and how it happened, what changed during the time at Darlington, then ending up at Fulham. In your life, what was that period like, both sporting-wise and off the field as well? Um, a roller coaster, really. So I moved up to Darlington for a little bit, trying to stay up there and get into it. The first year, I played, I think, seven times for Darlington. Uh, mostly cup games and then the next year the regular keeper left and I thought oh I might have a chance here well they brought in Andy Oaks who came from Derby at that time we're in the championship so he came in obviously first choice and uh, great to learn off so I'd learnt a lot through the pre-season they said look just get your head down you know get a few more games under your belt the more you play the more well first game 12 minutes get sent off I'm on. I was like, Wrexham it was. And I was like, oh my God, I'm on. And he was like, I told you. That was the last thing he said. Told you, didn't I? Are you ready? Well, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and I played 45 games. And midway, I say midway, about three weeks before the end of the season, we were 2-0 up against Dagenham and Redbridge. We lost 3-2 at home. Gorgie because I'm stuck here. <laughs> Mind you, want to see you? I was like, oh my God. I said, I weren't that bad. He was like, no, mind you, want to see you. Okay, so I put my stuff down, sent to my mum and dad. Mind you, want to see me? My dad's like, that's it. It was a good run, son. <laughs> I was like, right, so I've gone in. Who's the manager? Uh, Dave Penny. Mm -hmm. So I've gone in and it literally, it was probably about the size of this room and, and the manager sat behind his desk. As I come around the corner on the sofa, the director sat there, the chairman sat there. I thought, I'm, the amount of things that went through my head, what have I done, <laughs> have I done? <laughs> in the last three weeks that would... So I've sat down and, and they all smiled and I was like, 
oh my god I'm so scared and um, he said look just to let you know we've we've accepted an offer for you I said I'm not that bad he went no no it's from Fulham and I said for me <laughs> he went yeah we, we've been speaking to him for the last three weeks about about a transfer fee I said, well, nobody told me, did they? I said, that's all the way in London. <laughs> <laughs> so from Darlington to London. But anyway, it it was nice because they all always knew what an opportunity was for me and for the for the club. And um, the goalkeeper coach just gave me a hug. Andy Collett, he gave me a hug. He said, that, that's what you've worked for two years for. And that's what I said, never stop chasing. Never stop chasing. You just don't know. You didn't even know. And you were just playing, kicking How much ball. was the offer? <laughs> I want to say about seven fifty overall. Maybe you didn't have an agent. Um, yeah, I did, but, but it, your agent didn't know. I think so. But didn't bother telling you. At that, at that time, though, it was, <laughs> it was agents weren't a big thing then. You had one, but it was a bit of paper that mm. you probably didn't see again. He got into contact with me when they told me. So, <laughs> yeah. and then they said, "Oh, on your next day off, you flying to London." I said, well, I'm pretty sure i got to pick the kids up. <laughs> he was like, you're flying to London, mate. <laughs> so I flew into London. It was crazy because got in there, I said, oh, just get a taxi. He went, oh, no, there's a car coming to pick you up. I was like, oh, this is posh. <laughs> and uh, the, I still speak to you today, Matt Maunders, he's the club liaison officer. Beautiful man, great man. And that was the first time he said, I'm taking you around London today. I said... I'm not really a sightseeing guy. He went, no, you've got to go get your scans and your medical done. <laughs> and I said to my agent, I said, I don't even know what I'm signing for here. How long or anything? He said, you don't need to. And not that it was a thousand, thousand of pounds. It was just the point where I said, who's going to turn down and move? But in my head, it was like, well, I need to get myself sorted, make sure I can afford a place. Yeah. At this point, I thought, oh, I'll be able to get a house. Not in London. No. But that was just my northern route. So, yeah, we got picked up, took around. It was um, on the personal side. I was telling people, and I still couldn't believe it. He's like, no, it's not in the paper. It's not in the paper. It's not true. It's all right. And then eventually, after five hours of medicals and every bone in your body getting, I got there and they, they, they said, look, and it was the year... Obviously, Royston and the survival year. So I said, we've got two contracts here. We've got one for the championship, one for the Premier League. I said, oh, I thought you in the Premier League. At this point, not even thinking. Yeah, not, yeah. Just that total, like, oh, my God. So I'm in the office. I was like, okay, no worries. Happy with everything. Yep, yeah, I'll sign them. Gone downstairs. There's Brian McBride stood in the hallway. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's he plays for America. <laughs> I, that's Brian McBride. And he was like, Stocky, how are you doing? I was like, Brian, how do you know my name? He was like, we know that we'll try and sign people and I'm the club captain to make you feel welcome. I was like, you know my name? And he was like, yes, <laughs> we know your full name. <laughs> and unfortunately, he left after that season and we stayed up, but I was at a, a barbecue. We got to the playoff semifinals that year. And we lost on penalties. And straight after, I had an interview, and all they could ask me about was moving to Fulham. I said, you need to give me five minutes here because I've just been knocked out. But they was like, but you're moving to Fulham? And I said, do you think I don't care? And he's like, yeah, but 
there's big things ahead. I said, I've just lost in the playoff semi-final, the first one ever. He was like, yeah, but I said, I can't do this and walked off. And then after I came out of the chamber, I said, I'm, I'm sorry. And he went, no, that was really insensitive of me. I went, no, let's talk about Fulham now. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't all smooth sailing at Fulham, though. And this is something that you alluded to a little bit earlier on, moving house a lot. I don't know if you took the family with you or whether it was just you on your own, but what was the period like being at Fulham, on loan at Rotherham, Leicester, Plymouth, Ipswich, and twice at Hull? Ipswich and Hull. They came with me so they could have stayed at home. So, again, moving house. They, they were more long-term loans. Uh, Plymouth was half a season, I think it was. Plymouth was a tough one because I'd played in the group stages of the Europa League. And he got to the quarterfinals like, right, you're going out on loan. And I was a bit good. I wanted to follow that journey, wherever it may be. And at that time, we weren't saying we're expecting to get to a final. But mm. when it, in hindsight, again, you were a bit like, oh... I would like to, uh, mm. but then Roy, being the gentleman he was at the final, we, I got a medal because, of, and he he said you was part of the team, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I was part of that. So there's the thing of football again. I'm going out to develop as a goalkeeper and, and for the club. They recognised it, and at that time I wasn't a senior professional. I were, didn't feel like I had respect. I did, but. You know when you don't think, oh, they're not thinking about you. And mm. it's Roy Hodgson, it's Mike Kelly, who is at the ninety ninety World Cup. You know, and he's coming to you and saying, "Well done." You know, you you helped out. So you say it's hard, but it's also rewarding at the same time. But yeah, the when I told um, my wife we were playing Exeter, I said, "You're gonna have to pick me up after the game Tuesday night game." She went, "Okay, where well, Exeter? Where's that?" <laughs> so it's about an hour out of London. Well, she got to exit her. She stood in the terrace and gives me a full round of what <laughs> in the warm up. My goalie coach going, Do you know her? I was like, No. no. And now we're out of London. <laughs> I saved the penalty though, so. All worth the journey. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listen, there's so many things that we want to talk yeah. to you about. We have to talk about Brighton. We want to talk about Wickham too, but very quickly... Life at Brighton, what that gave you in terms of, you know, your, your life as a, as a person, as a man and in football? Experiences and memories as a, as, a, as a man and that I can look back on fondly. Ups and downs, the first season was very much, we only just stayed up, I think it was. And we were playing some good football with Sammy Hippier, but just not not conceding. We was losing like 1-0, one, 2-1. One one. We just couldn't do it. I remember... People even asked me, we went to Ellen Road and we won 1-0 up there. We played Leeds off the park and everyone was like, this is the turning point. This is when we're going to kick on. It just didn't happen. We were very hot and cold. Um, then Chris Uton came in and ch- we went back to m- my way, how I came up. Like We kick it long until they give us some space to play out. No worries. Second season, we uh, draw on the last day of the season. 89 points with Middlesbrough. To beat us on goal difference. We play Chef Wednesday in the semi final. We went down to nine men, two injuries. We managed to keep it at 2 0. Um, I think we the second leg, we hit the woodwork five times in the first half. And you know, when you think it's not going to be our day, and it, and it wasn't. And people kind of wrote us off after that a little bit like, how they're going to come back? Because Brighton had been on the verge of the playoffs for five or six years Gus Poyet um, and Chris Uton. It was one of them where there were so many people in that team that either had a point to prove or I'm not letting not letting you say that about my teammates, that we came out and we were flying. Near the end of the season, it got to a point where we was second and we played Leeds and we got beat at Ellen Road. And that hurt me anyway because of all the people mm-hmm. that could ring me up and say, just watch you get beat at Ellen Road. But we'd gone through a patch of not winning and Leeds went up to second that day and we, we fell down and that was it. It was like Brighton have gone. So Chris Hewton just said, oh, the wives weren't very happy, but he said, I'm taking all the lads, we're going to Valencia. I was like, Valencia, what? It's not like a Dubai or something. Yeah. <laughs> and he said it was basically, we're getting away. There was a golf course there, there was a beach where we played. We had fun, we had five asides, we had meals together. At some point she was like, well, I could have ate at home, you know, I could have played <laughs> golf, give me a week off. But it was the point, looking back, he wanted to take total responsibility. You haven't got any kids to look after you. Just thinking, full rest. And we went on and we won five games, got promoted. You look back and you think, what a genius. <laughs> like, at the time, you're a bit like, your wife's ringing you up. Oh, you should be at home, like, it's international break. Why Why aren't we doing it? And it's like, trust, trust the process. And so learning things from different managers and different approaches to a game and as well I got Ben Roberts who changed my game not changed it fully but he was the first real one that went in depth into my game said we're going to work on these things what were they so little things like 
longer shots and obviously with the balls moving that he could do that and he said I want to practice on getting that first movement in you know seeing the line of a ball trying to make saves easier for yourself very will do things so well so like people might not know the goalkeeping training techniques but even when you're taking volleys you're like you take everyone if you drop one you start again you know and he was the first one that really put that like meticulous nature of yeah, training into and there was always a reason behind the training and and that was another one where all the keepers used to come from like under 16s and we all used to train together along and would mix it up and that's when I really thought oh you know what I can help somebody I'm getting help from my superior and that's where I became more open to helping people I grew up in the stage where it was like I shouldn't really ask people what they think mm. you know he might tell me to shut up and clean his boots you know I started asking Mike Swartz when I was at Fulham and he would help but it was more from visual and watching the best at what they do and that's when I thought that's the first time I thought oh my god they're watching me and then that was a bit like oh I better do this right yeah not that I wouldn't do it right before it was just very much I am the focal point and then we got promoted so we had a picture at the end and everyone was like oh that's what hard work does and I was like I didn't see his hard work I was improving mm. but subconsciously he's got out of you an extra 5% He's not saying he's changed you as a goalkeeper and made you what you are, but it just shows his track record of goalkeepers. Now, Robert Sanchez was one of those goalkeepers that was... Watching you. Yeah. <laughs> and I taught him everything he knows. <laughs> I thought you might take the credit for that. Listen, it's interesting you talk about the approach of your coaches that you had at Brighton as well. Is it is it very different under Gareth Ainsworth? Because at Wickham, it seems like you're the modern-day crazy gang to a lot of people. We you are know? definitely yeah? modern-day crazy gang. Some of the things that... Some of the meetings, the whoops, the hollers, the singing. Um, and you say crazy gang and everybody thinks, oh, they beat people up. We, we don't. We literally take anyone that wants to be involved in our football club in. It's like we, we have one of the non-executive directors was cutting the grass today. How are you doing? You know, do you want a drink? You know, in the middle of training. And it's like, this wouldn't happen at any other club. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and the goalkeeper coach, Lee Harrison, knew me. He took me at South End on loan when I was at Birmingham. And w w just together, so we had two young goalkeepers come in, one from Cray Wanderers, 17-year-old, he's been playing. He came in, I said, put a smile on your face. And he was like, <laughs> and I said he was like well, why did you say that I said because you're going to enjoy it and he went in and when we went over with the first team we were doing some crossing and finishing to start with I said come on we're going in he was like what me I was like yeah you're a goalkeeper right yeah he went yeah yeah I just didn't think I'd be training with him I said get yourself in goal his face was just like and I said here it's not how young you are, it's not what you do. Even if you have the worst training session ever, you've got an experience for a lifetime. I can't change that for you. You can always tell them you come in, take a photo, get selfies. You might never get this opportunity. I hope you do. Learn, watch what you're doing, take every moment in because it soon goes and now being an older, I wish I had taken some moments in back when I was like, the people who I've met and managed to get learn off and I'm like, oh, no memories. Nobody will ever know. Yeah. Just yeah. me. 
I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Wiccan Wanderers. Um, that's where you are now. Just listening to you talk, obviously, you know, you've been speaking about being a father, your relationship with your teammates, both when you were younger than them and now when you're older than them as well. What is your future then as a mentor, as a coach in football? I'm a little bit too sweary and to the point for a coach nowadays, let's just say. Um, you're old school, you think so? Yeah. yeah I, well, I had the brilliant Mike Kelly at Fulham and it was literally, ring me up at six o'clock, get yourself to Leicester, you're going on loan. By the way, the manager's my mate, so you better sort yourself out. I had to be in Leicester before the training session at Nigel Pearson. Not normally the easiest blokes, but they tell you how it is, mm. and that's that. That's what it was, and it was like for me that got the best out of me because Yorkshire, you'd rather be told. Mm. If you're a bit of a div, I'll tell you. If you're not, I'll tell you. There's you no great. And, and you don't think you could do that now? No, no, no. How do you get I, spoken to now then? Well, Lee Harrison, he knows that he can speak to me <laughs> like that. You have to float around with the young lads. They're a bit temperamental sometimes. Uh, but we can work with very much like, I base myself, I know every single player in my team, how they are, what they do with family, what the family's names are, how they react to things. So I can get the best out of them. My best mate, Akin Fenwa. If I sh see him not doing something right on the pitch, I will give him two rounds of what ifs. And he'll turn around to me and go, oh, yeah, okay. I couldn't do that to some of my other teammates. They need the, listen, relax, take your time, next one. Don't worry about it, it's time. And that's what we have at Wickham. We know each other's balance, uh, temperament, things like that. How, how you present someone, obviously football's a silly sport that people lose their mind. And anyone can lose their mind at times, but being able to speak to people and that's how the manager gets the best out of our players because he leaves us to it. You guys can sort out. He said, I don't need to... If it comes up to me, you've got a problem. So everything gets sorted in-house. It's usually someone being an idiot for getting medical kit, but it gets sorted. So mm. the manager doesn't have to get involved and that makes his job much easier. All he has to do is worry about picking the team and that's tough enough as it is at the minute. And if the television breaks down, David Stockdale mends it. It was actually it wasn't the TV actually. <laughs> what um, was it? What was it? You know the heat lamps for the food. Oh. I couldn't let the lads down. We, we weren't having salad for a start. <laughs> <laughs> they, they broke down, and I said to the chef, "I said, what, what, what's wrong?" He said, "Plugs have gone." I said, "Show me the electric room." And he was like, "I'm not showing you." The... I said, "Do you want to see my certificate?" I said, "I'm an electrician." He was like, "Oh yeah." Went in, sorted it out, got it up and running. He was like, that's a good one. I still drive to work in my van, my work van, um, because I, I'm not going to use it and, yeah. apart from training. So I still drive around Wickham in my work van. Gets me from here to be. Why did you decide to learn to be an electrician? Again, going back to my dad, he, he learned to be a painter and decorator. It was all about, have a trade, son. You can always get a job somewhere. And... I'm I'm kind of numbers based and like to get stuck in and know intricate details of things. So I went for electrics really because plumbing. I thought I've seen what goes down the toilet. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? It's like fair play to the plumber. That's why I don't begrudge playing plumbers. <laughs> Painting, decorating, too messy. Like imagine scraping your skin every night when you come home from work. So it was it was one of them where and 
it wasn't until after I did the course that I realised that you could get help from PFA with the new new incentive scheme of trying to get people that maybe didn't make it in football or, or leaving football. So so they helped out. The PFA was great help in that. So and because I've got a property business as well, I wanted to know if I was getting ripped off. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and learning because eventually this career is going to come to stop. I start a new one. And that's what I want to do. So why not improve on my next career when, while I can in in my old career? No, I see. Prudent. Before you go, there is something else that we wanted to to talk to you about, and it was interesting listening to you talk about your goalkeeping coach that taught you about the meticulous nature of training and dealing with different scenarios as a goalkeeper. Punditry, goalkeepers to be specific in punditry, how they're spoken about. How do you feel as a goalkeeper when you're watching, I don't know, match of the day or the highlights of the EFL and you're hearing your performance or other goalkeepers being spoken about and you're thinking this person has absolutely no idea, (laughs) even though they've won Champions Leagues or, you know, they've scored winning goals in European Cup finals. Clearly, they've never played in goal. Does that, it seems to grate on a lot of ex-goalkeepers on social media, etc. What about the players now? Yeah, it definitely does. I hear it sometimes and I think... Oh my God, you are so wrong. There's some that you look at and you go, actually, yeah, all right, yeah. But it's like, what you see, I said, we're a different breed. We play a different sport altogether to an outfield player. You don't throw, well, some do throw themselves on ground, don't they? Yes. You know, but it's totally different angles. And so we're thinking totally different things. You're thinking track your runner. I'm thinking there's a cross coming here. I've got to be stand over here. And it all becomes habits, obviously. But I think um, Rob Green, Rob Green was on Sky quite quite a little bit, little bit ago, and, and he really puts the point across well. I like it when he does his little explanations as well. Um, but he's the one that I look at and go, yeah. From a from a goalkeeper, I can see, yeah, you're right. I can see what you're getting at there. Mm. But he'll never say, oh yeah, it was totally. It will say, yeah, it was a mistake. But this is why. This is the goalkeeper's union at play, isn't this it? Is, it's a real thing, isn't it? It's a real thing. It's like if we had a theme park for goalkeepers, it'd be absolutely mental. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody comes out alive. <laughs> Here's the thing. You see the goalkeepers at the end of the game. Often they go and they have a long chat in the centre circle and they might swap shirts. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, these two guys definitely don't know each other. You know, you might be watching no. the Champions League. And I'm like, what are they talking about? What are those goalkeepers talking about at the end of the game for so long? Because it just seems like... You're in some sort of club that none of us are members of. You know, it's a bit like the Masons or something like that. You know, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, you get a special card. <laughs> Have you not seen one of them before? It's like one of them emojis. You know, it mind blown. Mm-hmm. That's that's the goalkeeper members club. I see. Basically, sometimes you, you're speaking about like when I when I see I bring Tommy when when I played against Lincoln, mm-hmm. Josh Griffiths, young goalkeeper. I, I actually said to him, "Look, you did really well there. Like, I hope you do well in your career. Keep going." And and sometimes they'll ask you, like, "Oh, what did you think of this?" And and the goal. What do you think our goal? And you actually like because sometimes the, the only person that understands what you're saying is that other goalkeeper. And I've had it where I say. What happened with Golden? They say, oh, yeah, this happened. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, killer, isn't it? Because you know what it's like to have that. Mm. On Saturday, there was a massive wind against us in the first half. And then Chef, I said, why did you not shoot in the first half? He said, 
I don't know. We were trying to tell him to shoot. I said, you had so many chances to shoot at me. I said, I'm so happy that they only <laughs> shot at you. He was like, I, t- I was telling him. And that's the thing, like, we understand what it's like. An outfielder just kicks the ball. They don't know when it's moving towards you and it can look really bad. And you're like, it moves so bad. And you just try... Um, there was one this season against Wigan and he, he moved it well and it, it moved to the side and, I, and the gaffer said what were you thinking there I said gaffer I was thinking keep it out of the net will you I managed to keep it out and he scored the rebound uh-huh. so it always gets highlighted but he actually said what you think I said I'm keeping it out of the net like if I let it go in and said sorry gaffer it's moving he was like right I said you wouldn't understand <laughs> you, you ain't in the club yeah you ain't got a special belt that you have to wear, or <laughs> well, I think he does actually. It's a you know pretty good get-up from Gareth Ainsworth most of the time. In the are, you, are you are you likely to go up for in the ninety-fourth minute to try and score if you need to score? Do you do 100%. that a lot? Have you scored an, an, a goal before? Not, in, not professional, no. I see. I've got a lot of assists. Like Akin Fen was on the goal in championship. Well, listen, goalkeepers get assists, all right? You can't be bragging no, on the podcast about that. this was an ordinary assist, my friend. You took a corner, did you? Well, what would you the do? The corner came in. <laughs> the corner came in. It got came out. I had a shot. It got blocked. <laughs> it went out wide. I thought, I'm staying up. Mm-hmm. There's no chance I'm going running back there. My hamstrings can't take it. <laughs> crossed it over. Keeper came out, punched it. I've hit this sweetest folly. Got in top corner. Casey Palmer puts his hand up. Penalty. Aki Fenwa. Have your first championship goal, my friend. <laughs> I think that's an assist for Casey Palmer, but I'll give it to you anyway. David Stockdale. I'll just I'll, I will give it to you. You know anyway. what? That's why you'll never get in our club. <laughs> Ever. David Stockdale, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Hopefully you'll be back with us again on the game podcast. Hopefully, Hopefully yeah, giving us some more stories as well. Best of luck with the end of the season and what's next for you as well. Exclusive staying at Wickham going forward? No idea. At 36, 37, you you just take it as it comes and hopefully I can Reveal something when I'm lifting the trophy at Wembley. Hopefully. But David, listen, what I will tell you is third choice goalkeeper at a Champions League club. Oh, that English, that passport is unbelievable these days. You know, forget Brexit. It's worth it just to be a fourth choice keeper at Manchester City and work with Pep. That could be you. No, no. (laughs) Not me. I'd never live it down in Leeds, would I? (laughs) David Stockdale, it's been a pleasure. Thank you all for listening. Uh, We will have more from Mr. Stockdale, I am sure. But remember, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. So check it out right now. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you soon. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.